If I could tell you just one thing is a brand new event industry podcast presented by me, Mel Noakes. And me, Max Fellows. It's a podcast from Elevate where industry leaders write a letter to their younger self. And they consider what wise words of advice they would give themselves now if only they could. Our discussion is based on this letter. Be prepared for refreshingly honest conversation and wise words of wisdom. Today, we have the privilege of talking to Michael Geetson, the CEO of Identity, an independent global live events agency. He started his career as a chartered accountant and now heads up one of the fastest growing companies in Europe. Michael leads a growing team delivering live events for global brands that include Google, Netflix and Apple and has worked on public contracts that include the Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Office and the Ministry of Defence. Michael is currently leading the expansion of the business into the Middle East with the opening of the offices in the UAE. His agency is renowned for their meticulous management of big-ticket, high-stakes events. Most recently, they helped deliver the coronation of King Charles III. With a global audience of 2.5 billion and the UK events industry watching, it doesn't get more high-stakes than that. I mean, it's an introduction that's not bad, is it? Hey, it takes it straight in. But a, a big thank you for joining us and uh, yeah, coming and sitting on our hot seat and uh, yeah, sharing all of that as well. We are very privileged and uh, yeah, grateful to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. I do enjoy listening to that this fire now. It's a proud moment when you stand back and reflect. You don't often get to do that. And yeah. So for those that don't know you, Michael, please introduce yourself to us a little bit about what you do at Identity. So as you kindly said, uh, I'm Michael Geetson. I'm now the CEO of Identity, Indeed, Europe's fastest growing events agency, um, and probably globally now one of the fastest growing events agencies. Um, I guess we are, maybe if I start from current days and go back a little bit, I guess now we're synonymous with delivering some of the globe's highest profile events. Uh, and it's a field that we've got ourselves into where we specialize in sort of mass partition mass participation complex events, but uh, I guess we are a traditional events agency. And so full service from design, creativity, strategy, all the way through to delivery. Um, and, and now obviously more so than ever, a digital layer in, in every event that we do. And with the letter writing, so as with all guests, we've asked you to write a letter to your younger self uh, of 20 or so years before. How did you find that process? cathartic uh, yeah I, I thought it's it's such a great exercise and i've actually shared it with uh, friends and family reflecting making them do the same thing what would you say to your younger self and I, i've really enjoyed the process and uh I, you know there's a lot i wouldn't change i've had a fantastic career so far and wasn't one that i ever anticipated getting into um but it's been a great journey and i think more just trying to tell myself to strap in and enjoy the ride really recognize some of those key moments because it's going at such a pace mm. right one thing i want to well mention or talk about just before we get stuck into it then uh, and it is very well formatted an exceptional letter in itself a piece of work of brilliance uh, the the opening comments you mentioned was about this premise around acting older or, or kind of this persona of being older and obviously kind of had a nod to the hair type mm -hmm. thing which we had, had had a giggle at and it resonated because I've always tried to operate five to seven years older, uh, and especially in that first 10, 15 years of career, to earn a seat at the table or because you feel you need to in order to get in the room. How did you find, why did you kind of feel that? Just because I could relate to it so much. Yeah, I think it's um, the industry that we're in, but I guess you could generalize it throughout business, is that relationships sell. And so I think, you know, there is a there is a trust and, and an expectancy that if I'm going to do business with this person, they've been doing it long enough that they know what they're talking about. Mm. And I relied heavily on that in my early days in, in events where we were probably punching way above our weight. And so actually, when I was 23, people probably thought I was more like 33. Uh, and so I could not say, but they could believe there was a decade's mm. worth of experience behind me. But I think that that's it. And, and I, I, I've got a lot to, my education helped me massively. And so uh, Eastbourne College that I attended, you know, I think really helped. We were interacting with adults and older people at college all the time. And so that was a real stepping stone into to business, which I then later really, really appreciated. But I do remember some of the early deals of being in a boardroom or a pitch with people much older than myself 
thinking, have I got away with this? Mm. Uh, <laughs> I know exactly what it is. And then, and then lo and behold, someone comes knocking and it's 30 under 30 or 40 under 40 or something. And they kind of think, no. But I actually had to show my passport for one of those ones just to do it. And then suddenly everyone realises. And there's a point where the balancing act kind of changes. And then you grow into that age. And then you're like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm younger. I'm younger. <laughs> Take me back. I'm younger. <laughs> I was doing a pitch for a, a global brand and uh, we, we won the pitch. But um, afterwards, uh, I was uh, out having a cigarette with him. And uh, he said, uh, he said, oh, what are you up to this evening? I said, oh, I'm off to my friend's 23rd birthday. And he thought, that's a bit weird. And I went, well, I'm actually 22. <laughs> uh, so uh, he said, I probably wouldn't have given you the deal if I'd known that. Wow. Yeah. I bet, I bet. So then jumping into the, the letter uh, and you mentioned and talk about family and the education side of things. So kind of going back to kind of the earlier years, tell us a bit about what that looked like for you and, and that kind of experience and the family side of things as well. Um, so as I allude to in the letter, you know, family uh, for the Geetsons and, and, and for me are, uh, are absolutely everything. And I've got a lot to thank my parents for and the support and guidance uh, particularly as we'll probably find out a bit later, my dad uh, was in the events industry uh, and so sort of three decades in that and, and little did I know that every Sunday lunch and every summer holiday and every weekend odd jobbing for him that I was crafting a, a, a skill set and a knowledge of the events industry that later in my life I'm going to use and apply. But um, yeah, I've got two young kids married uh, and, and I think what's been brilliant and particularly with Gen Z coming through is this work-life balance and this phrase that we're coining so much I think is essential now to good business um, and I think the flexibility of working and making sure that you know it's not all about the grind and earning the money that if you can't enjoy it with family and friends and what's the point of mm. kind of doing it all but I, I, I think that um, growing any business is incredibly lonely at the top uh, and so if it's not for the support of the family around you, I, I, I think it's almost impossible. Mm. Uh, and, I, you know, I've got my wife has been incredibly supportive of me, you know, over the last decade. And, and, and I think it's uh, I mean, she's practically been in the boardroom for the first couple of years. She's grateful now that as the business has expanded, she's uh, got out. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's, she's retired from that role. Um, but no, I mean, that 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 is essentially what's really important. And uh, and again, I think that because I'm the youngest of three boys, um, that competitive edge that has been almost beaten into me uh, <laughs> by my two older brothers, also in business, I think is incredibly important, um, being competitive. Mm. You talk about this entrepreneurial spirit. It's one of the things that comes through in the letter and, you know, those early days of doing all sorts of things at school and selling things and whatnot. And you talk about odd jobbing for your dad. Um, how much has that played a role in the journey that you've been on? Yeah, and I, I can only talk personally, but uh, I, I, I guess most entrepreneurs have a similar backstory where they've been thinking, you know, they've been ducking and diving and sort of wheeling and dealing and trying to make the most out of every opportunity. It's just so bizarre. And I said, this is it's such a cathartic process writing a letter to your younger self because it's a moment of reflection. And, and on that moment of reflection, you can understand that the, the small building blocks mm. that have happened in those early years and, and the, almost the butterfly effect that happens mm. 10, 15 years later down the line. And, but yeah, they're, they're, you're, you're funnily enough, you're just refining and honing that skill set that you're later going to use in the boardroom. Yeah. And a journey from a chartered accountant to an event manager is not necessarily the, the obvious career path that yeah. one takes. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about that and, and I guess where it started and, and some of those career, I guess, course corrections maybe that brought you here. So the going right back for me, I actually wanted to be a barrister uh, and uh, that was always my kind of dream was to get into commercial law. Um, kind of, I enjoy acting when I was at school and they say that, you know, most barristers are kind of failed actors, uh, but I'm actually dyslexic. And so I studied uh, history and English at A-level and had a place to go and study either law or history at Nottingham University. In my gap year, I, I absolutely realised that I don't enjoy it. I, I, I would really struggle reading books for a further four years and having to remember everything in all the order and all the case law. And so I've had to start searching what it is that I wanted to do. And, I, and 
I was kindly advised by uh, a guy called Nick Ascroft, uh, and I wanted to go into the city, and he said um, that the best thing is to go and get qualified, get a really good qualification behind you, and the world's your oyster after that. Um, but if anyone knows that they're dyslexic, uh, working with numbers is also a challenge. <laughs> uh, so, I, But I got qualified, and I did post-qualification uh, in accountancy, and uh, boy, is that put me in good stead and uh the, the the fascinating thing when and i've mentioned this many times when you're an accountant and you do audits you get to spend time with the entrepreneurs that own the businesses and you have to interview them and ask them what's going on what's their strategic report on what's happening in the business and of the, of the tens nearly hundreds of uh business owners i've met in that time you could see the really good ones the average ones and the bad ones and i just remember that and and also, you would have about 30 minutes with them. I could be sitting with them for two, three hours, just fascinated. And they were, they, I had this ability for them to want to open up more and tell me more. And I remember coming home to my mum and dad saying, that's what I want to do. I want to sit that side of the table, not this side of the table. And, and that's where the journey really, really began. And, 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 and now I don't like accountancy. Um, and so I'm glad to be out. But well, I tell you, I use a lot a, more accountancy now. As a fellow <laughs> dyslexic, it's a fearful and, and kind of yeah. big monster of a, of a qualification. Even going to university and qualifications in itself is quite a, a challenge per se as, as you develop your you know, interpersonal skills more so as a, as a route rather than the academic side. You mentioned the acting element of and, and actually from some of the entrepreneurs we've spoken to acting, something that feeds through as well as then the ability to play to strengths and things like that. Were, were you an academic kind of in your, your kind of secondary schools and things? Was it, did you play more on the act, not play, but, you know, lean into the acting side a bit more as well? What was the kind of that before the university days? If in a sporting term, if you could sum me up, um, I'm an all rounder. Okay. So I'm, I'm a straight B's type of guy in some of the subjects I really, really enjoyed. I might bump up to an A. Um, but at the same time I played, you know, averagely across all the sports teams. I, I just enjoyed everything and that and that was it. and I had a lot I had a great time at school I, I, I really really benefited from that system and, and so on but it's uh I'd, it's an equal balance for me I just I found you just talk, I found exams incredibly stressful mm. and it's something I don't miss and, I, and you reflect back in it now as a, as a grown adult how insignificant they really are in life and you know I think if anyone that was listening was just trying to rationalize the that process is relaxed and just get mm. through it because I think, you know, experience more than ever now means so much. More. Yeah. If you were to, if you were to reset the bar then and with your little ones growing up when they hit 11 pluses or GCSEs, what, how would you assess their capabilities? If you were to do away with GCSEs? Yeah. It, good question. <laughs> um, happiness, I think more than anything. Okay. Definitely. I've got two very different boys, uh, but my eldest, you know, I, I judge if you're happy and you're enjoying it, you'll do well at it yeah. and find your groove and find what you like. And I, I think that is, you know, we're, we're, I'm, we're in a privileged position where we have, a, we have a good life, you know? And so actually I want them to make sure that they're enjoying what, what there is, but also know that, there is a plethora of opportunity out there. And, and I think what's brilliant over the last few years is that you really can do anything now. And, mm. and, and so back, I would say I'm probably the la a millennial last of the generation really of where you were pigeonholing what you had to do at such a young age. Mm. No, you don't have to do that. Yeah, yeah. And sorry for hogging. Um, <laughs> I just find it interesting as a dyslexic, you know, superpower or a slight challenge setback? interesting question i don't know whether i hide behind it sometimes and so uh you know you have an ability and a tough thing to say oh i'm dyslexic you know i, I, I need it done like this but i have and I, richard branson massive amount to thank for yeah uh, for dyslexic people um it's not till you're older and successful that you're able to um to control a room or control a scenario with more confidence. And so I, I can turn around to people and say, actually, I don't like that information given to me in that format. I need you to put this into some pictures and I need mm. it into a deck and I need you to explain it. I need you to bring it to life. Uh, very nervous doing that in my early career. Now, most of our meetings are shaped in that pattern. 
Um, and we, I've got a very different management team and everyone wants things done in a different way, but mm. we're very acceptant of that diversity within the workplace. But I, I mean, <clears throat> the creativity that <coughs> you supposedly get from being dyslexic is, is an absolute superpower in the events industry, definitely. And I think in the boardroom. Mm. Seeing things a certain see, way, seeing definitely. outside the box, yeah, yeah. It's, it's oh, that ability with, to. With any strength, you must know your weakness, mm. and so you know, I, I have to be very careful about. You know, I couldn't proofread a document accurately, and I even when I think I have, and I, I studied English, so I think you just got to know your weaknesses to balance them out. And you talk in your letter a little bit about you know this idea of nothing lasts forever and meeting the highs and lows with equal grace, which I think is a really lovely approach to things how, how has that been for you th through your career so far and life so far um I, i'm 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 a great believer that this yeah that this as you said this won't last forever and so i think enjoying every moment and being very respectful and mindful of an upwards journey because it might come it might you might have to go back down afterwards and and i think also to that point is, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in karma as well, is that, you know, whatever happened will happen for a reason. And 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 I think that has put me in really good stead. And I, and I think it's it's not to hold, live the moment because don't hold on to it for very long. We have an expression now, um, I'm sure it's in a film, but, you know, be a goldfish. Oh, in um, Ted Lasso, <laughs> right? So he's like, you know, be a goldfish, forget about it afterwards, move on, life's too short. And I, I really, really believe that. And in, and in business, and particularly agency world, where it is absolutely a people-led profession, you know, if you hold grudges or you know, or, or, or resentment, harness resentment, I mean, it's terrible. And so, just move on, get on with it. Mm. And, and we lose pitches all the time. You have to rebuild and regather. So, yeah, it's it's a good trait to have, I think. Mm. So, how did you from the kind of accounting side then find yourself as you said you you wanted to be that side of the desk or that interview and the questioning to that kind of entrepreneur and things how did you make that leap and what was the spark or thing that went right okay this is it and it's called identity off we off we hop <laughs> <laughs> so always the stars were kind of aligning so i uh, i joined identity in 2009 um, which was... So it existed beforehand. Yep. Right. Uh, and uh, it was uh, just after the financial crash. So my dad had been in the events industry uh, under a different name, really, but it was a uh, was what we would deem now as a kind of project manager um, within the exhibitions and conference space. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of guys worked there, so a small, um, a small uh, local business uh, in, in the town where I lived. And so I, I remember saying to my parents, um, I tell you what, I really want to start up my own business. But I tell you what, why don't I come and join you, Dad? And uh, my mum said, absolutely not. Why would you want to throw <laughs> away a fantastic qualification like accountancy and, uh, and get into the events industry? And after a bit of badgering, um, I joined the business. Uh, my brother was there as well at the time. So a real family, uh, a real family business. Uh, and going through very difficult times. So the exhibition industry is uh, absolutely a barometer to the economic climate. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, um, yeah, if it's if it's struggling, if the economy is struggling, then people cut on their exhibitions. Yeah. And so we had to look to diversify, and, and that was where my cut and thrust really came in. And so I started thinking about what we could do, and so we diversified and went into uh, graphics and signage, um, where our offices were, we were right by a, um, a commercial vehicles company. And so we would meet all the people coming in, buying their new vans, and we would do graphics for them. But because we were used to doing some project management, we immediately aimed high and uh, we picked up some national contracts. We were within two years, the largest graphics company within Sussex. Um, we, we then, at this time, um, Facebook and social, social media marketing was coming in. And so we set up a little digital side. Um, and then we got into promotional products. And these were all around an event ecosystem that uh, you had an exhibition. We could do all the graphics. We could design it for you. We could um, do your digital marketing content for pre, during, post-show uh, activations. And then we could do your pens and pencils on the side. And so I'm sort of a couple of years in now at Identity. Uh, my dad retires, uh, the, the team is growing. Um, he hands over the reins 
uh, now managing director of identity uh, and we're doing all right we're 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 probably up to three million pounds turnover um living the dream exceeding uh expectations probably got 25 staff at, at this stage and can I jump in? What age were you when you became an MD of a three plus million pound business with 25 odd staff? You're going to make me do the maths now, but let's say about 25. Um, and, and I read a book called The One Thing. And I often get quoted talking about this as well, but it changed my life. And it said about doing one thing and doing one thing really mm -hmm. well and also about having uh, a big, hairy, audacious goal um, that, you, that you aim for. And uh, we may touch on personal ones, but it, it, at, my, at my stage then I was thinking, do you know what? I would love a £5 million business. And I remember it was 100% growth that's in revenue. Yes, we want to be profitable, but that was my big, hairy mm -hmm. goal. Five million, and, and we set out on a five-year journey to do that. And, and and I remember standing up in front of the team, um, and I'll maybe touch on this later. But staff conferences are everything to me. And so even when we were twenty staff, we went and had a staff conference, and we dedicated all day to it, and we tried to better ourselves and look at the goals and look at the strategy that we were going to do to get there. Um, well, we did that in the first two years uh, of our five-year goal, and so we 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 got to that stage and and then I I said right we've got to rethink this we've got to go bigger and so we said we're going to do 15 million in the next five years that is where we're going to get to as a business and we laughed and people laughed at me then as well and said that that can't be done and if you know the events industry five million is a solid events business mm -hmm. that that probably is 80% of the market in that boutique agency sphere of 30 people or, or so. When you punch above that into double digits, <clears throat> you are very much in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. you, are, you are maybe one of a, a ha 100, 200. And then when you get even above that, you like, could count on one hand it. And so that was the aim. I wanted, if you, the CNIT top 50 list, I think capped off at like 15 million or something. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I want to be on that. I want to be on that list. So we set the five-year goal. Within 18 months, we'd reached that five-year goal, uh, which, was, which was hugely exciting. And this is now where identity is really starting to build momentum. How did we do that at that stage was, like I said, the one thing was hugely influential. And it was because we focused on one thing and doing one thing really, really well. And so we actually stopped all of the diverse activities that we had. And we had to pick the one that we wanted to focus in and we focused on events. Uh, and, and, and that's why that no one really heard of identity until 2018 when we said we're just going to do events mm. from now on. Um, mm. And that's it. And you, you sort of talk about reaching those goals and the one thing being it, but it, it, there's so much that goes into mm. how do you get a business and a culture behind a goal like that to achieve it in such mm. quick time? Because it's not just the focus, it's how do you get the people behind you believing in that vision? Because that must have been a lot of fun, but a real shift as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and we were we were burning out at that time, and that was one of the catalysts of wanting to to focus you know, to make a million pounds selling graphics. It's an awful lot of graphics you've got to sell. Mm. Uh, awful lot of roller banners at ninety nine pounds a roller <laughs> banner. Um, yeah, we we had that we. Uh, so I was working with my business partner, Paul Fitzpatrick, at this stage. And I remember very much most of our business planning was done in a pub in Eastbourne called Babendum. Uh, and we, we, I was saying to him, look, if no one wants to come over the top with us and they're not the right people in this business, they've got to believe in what it is that we're doing. And interestingly, we reflect now because we're a very different very different business um you know with over 200 staff probably need 350 staff internationally this year and the you 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 have got to want to be ambitious and you've got to want to jump on the roller coaster and you've got to thrive in this environment otherwise it's not suited mm. for you 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 will you will butt against the business all the way so that is really really important and i think i mentioned in my speeches make sure you've got people that are like-minded and 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 want to come with you on the journey otherwise 
they're just gonna be expressions like mood hoovers, time vampires, mm. and what we call is like you know terrorists in the business that are holding you back. Um, so for me, it's very much about building that relationship connection. And how do you do it? Is things like the staff conference is taking the time to explain to them the journey. And again, without being cliched, but the the Kennedy when he talks to the cleaner and says, you know, you're working at this, we want to put the first rocket on, you know, on the moon and what's your role? And you, you know, I'm not the cleaner, mm -hmm. I'm helping put that. And I think yeah. that's what we did with the team was they really understood their part in finance, the importance of raising the POs correctly so that the team is all paid for and they're not getting on site, getting to site and it not being ready how you want it. So that was really cascading the strategy. Uh, and evidencing <clears throat> i think fact checking and proving as well was really important was you know i had the belief of the team behind me that we'd already done it once we've done it again mm. let's go and do it a third time um mm. for the strategy but uh, yeah like i think taking the time out to explain what it is that you want to do is essential in any business mm. and you talk a little bit about in your letter now i'm hogging so i apologize yeah. <laughs> um about some of the people in your life and, and you've mentioned a couple of them there it was um Nick and Steve and, and Paul and others. So who were the people around you at that time? Because you talk about being lonely at the top. Well, at 25 years old, at the top of a company growing at that rate, you must have needed some people for yourself to help guide that process through. Who were they and what did they help you with? I regret now. I probably should put my dad on it. So my dad oh. was obviously a huge... I, we're, we're so different and we have achieved very different things in our careers within the event space. But a person that's been in... That, that space for 30 years or so uh, was a great counsel when thinking about project delivery. And, and actually, that is the hardest part of an agency. You're only as good as the last job that you deliver. And mm -hmm. so for the team that are fundamental to the delivery of our major events now are essential. But I'm great confident in that area. Steve Moore that I mentioned, who was my old boss, still here. I've been on the phone to him only yesterday, chatting to him about things and and... Yeah, very much providing the the financial blanket and security that I needed as, as we were growing. Um, we're lucky that agency world is uh, and in the events world is typically um, cash deposits. When you're working on projects, you don't have so much of that cash burn that you would get in, a, in a, another fast growing business that you're working on. But also just I have a vivacious appetite for uh, podcasts i mean there are probably audiobooks in those days not podcasts <laughs> um but anything like that around business I, I i would constantly be annoying paul and the other sort of management team that are around oh i was reading this thing the other day and they said about doing this and like, the one thing that i mean i read mm -hmm. so many business books uh and and actually probably to the annoyance of many people and i, I guess if i was reflecting was do one thing, Michael, and one of them and stick with them. But we did. I think you know, for the last six years, we've been very focused on the way that we that we do things. But I, I would say it was just more research, which goes back to what my likes, you know, being a barrister, wanting to be a barrister, wanting to go through that. And I enjoy research, just not mm. that good at it. <laughs> so with the with Mel's question, those key people that helped you, I suppose, on the way, equally on the way at growing at such a rate, like any successful business or stock almost, there has to be a a you know plateau of sorts or a catch your breath moment of of five eight nine years of you know treble digit growth and some is is almost kind of impossible to maintain what are the the i was going to say well yeah what are the kind of sacrifices you've had to make to kind of keep that momentum going and and what's it been for you in terms of those kind of highs and lows equally on on the roots it, it's not all glamorous right it, no, it really no, isn't no. Uh, financial and then uh, home life, definitely. So in the early years, I was probably paid one of the least in the business. Uh, took a long time for that to balance out uh, because we we were reinvesting literally everything we had back into the business at that stage, and it was constantly growing. And I was the way that we grew the business was attracting one. And then two, being able to afford it was paying for the best industry talent. And I strongly feel now that Identity probably has the greatest arsenal of event professionals in the world working under one roof. Uh, and, and we are 
a, a very attractive proposition for those. But it's because uh, we're going, we're still going on a journey. Um, but uh, yeah, so having those amazing people around you and retaining them is is absolutely essential. But uh, that 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 aside, so home life, <laughs> writing tenders uh all the way through my early early years with paul as well um we would be on holiday at euro camp in france and we, we our partners would go to bed and we would go right laptops open about half past 10 11 bottle of red wine and we'd smash for a tender till three o'clock in the morning or something because you you don't know when those opportunities are going to land and we'd book the holiday before we were going and and, and exactly the same i mean when we talk about homeworking now in the pandemic, I mean, homeworking was just a way of life for me. You know, I've always had a desk at home and always been yeah, burning the midnight oil. And and there's an expression in those early years, any any entrepreneur would, would, would say, you know, I've got my day job in the day and then I've got to go home and do the business stuff. And, mm. and particularly then, because I was also the sort of the accountant in the, in the business mm. as well. I mean, I dropped that quite early on um, in the years, but it, it, it's, it was... I go back to being Antonio, my wife, you know, very supportive. Um, and now I'm in a privileged position where I can have that better balance in, in what I'm doing. But certainly the early years was graft. And I think graft. lots of entrepreneurs don't talk about that. I know certainly there was this boom maybe five, six years ago where everyone wanted to be an entrepreneur and they don't realise you've got to be the T, the printer, the IT, the accountant, and this. It sounds like you, you wore you a lot of hats. You never switch off though, do you? You never switch off now. Uh, you well, it's, it's, it's the relevance against his work life. And and the reality is, and be keen to hear your thoughts is, you know, is that still doable whilst trying to grow a business as the as the core founder or that that kind of key kind of original team? So there there, there is no differentiation between work mm. and life. It's life. It's, a, it's an <laughs> ecosystem, and you either love it or you hate it. And I love it, and I will never retire. I I, I, I the. I, I keeps me sharp, keeps me sane, and there's so much more I, I want to do. But it does mean you carry that, you know, heavy lies ahead that wears a crown. You always carry that pressure with you, and particularly on holidays. I've got very good now where, and this is my advice to any business owner, is leave your phone at home if you want to go and do something on holiday for a bit. And you know you've got to check in, you know you've mm. got to do it, but the worst thing is is reading your phone and getting a terrible email just before you're about to go to the aquarium with the kids or something and you're an absolute ass for two hours <laughs> because all you want to do is... And it can wait. Mm. Uh, and and But that... You're always thinking about it. Um, but I always... I mean, f mobile phones are just amazing now because you just write a note down when something comes along and... I still have a notepad by the side of my bed. Uh, yes, classic. Go yep. to bed, um, do it. And, and like, they're some of the greatest things that I've done in the business and changed things around as a result of that. So you, you never switch off, but it's a choice. If you mm. want a nine to five job, there are plenty of opportunities mm. out there if you want a nine to five job. Mm. But if you want to run your own business, then it's 24 seven. So we talked a, li a little bit about um, Heavy That Wears the Crown and, and it would be remiss of us not to talk about one of the biggest events we've witnessed in our lifetime. Nice what a link. Nice link. There we go. You're welcome. I'll give up my question for that. That was smooth. <laughs> Daytime TV beckons. Um, obviously, for us event professionals, watching an event like that is hugely, brings so much pride to us because it really is the best of our industry, the best of our country on display. But obviously running an event like that, we all know the pressure of a normal corporate event. Running an event like that is a different level. So tell us a little bit about how you got into royal events and I guess some of the things that went on in the background that you can share to, to run something as big as the coronation. Yeah, so um, we've earned our stripes to get to where we have um, today. And I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, we are synonymous with probably some of the most major international events in the world. Uh, it goes back to uh, surrounding yourself with great people and I've done exactly that. So in my team, Janet Dodd, who's one of my business partners, I've got a fourth business partner called Simon Donnell. And with the four of us, um, you know, we've set out on this journey to 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 go into this element of the of the market. And so without them, none of it would be possible. Uh, but talking about how you win these, well, uh, the technical side of it is we have to tender like any other job and you have to submit your pitch and, and we we have the experience required to do this job. The uniqueness of it is it hasn't happened for 70 years. Uh, and so it's the first in a generation of doing an event of this scale. Um, uh, and, and, and so 
we put our you know best foot forward and and do the things that we normally do and evidence our experience and and our identity as a kind of a low risk option um, when when delivering these projects but they are hugely complex uh, and it is not down to any one person it is a huge team effort uh, at identity and across all of the stakeholders involved in a project like this there's probably the best part of 12 15 major stakeholders from royal households to the ministry of defense to the royal parks to london borough gla dcms bbc you know the list could go on and, and identity is the glue that holds all of that together and i hope his highness is very pleased with uh, with the delivery of the project i thought it went well it was for us it was an amazing amazing event uh, for identity and we're incredibly proud is there any gossip behind the scenes or anything like that that you can share of what went on uh not i nothing that the daily mail or something wouldn't tell you i think it's more just that we're all human at the end of the day and 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 we're all it's just a pinch yourself moment that when we reflect that two and a half billion people watch the event that that we delivered is just just an incredible feeling now and, and i think one of the things that we've managed to create at identity is is what we call this stand back moment where the achieve what we have achieved is really really incredible and i'm i'm incredibly proud of the agency um now and 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 actually the coronation excuse the pun is the absolute jewel in the crown uh for us because new year's eve fireworks display with love from london was just the most epic project for identity and and you know doing our first ever new year's eve fireworks display last year uh it brought a tear to my eye of just 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 incredible um and uh, even now and i just it, it's that to my friends and all our peers in the industry to pull off something like that was quite incredible and and really it got we topped it mm. with the coronation mm. and it's just amazing yeah you you mentioned in your letter and and i wanted to ask kind of how relevant it still is is, is about making plans and your big ugly grisly kind of goals Ooh. and things but equally you mentioned writing it in pencil yeah. and, and so just reflecting on that note to yourself in the letter I wonder what that kind of big ugly goal is now and equally what elements are in pencil or, or what that represented, the kind of pencil point. Yep, so really, really important. Um, agility, flexibility, being able to duck dive, as I mentioned, and weave and, and just grasp every opportunity that presents itself is essential in business uh, and without quoting him too much again you look at Richard Branson or something like that you know he 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 really fell into the opportunities that were there and navigate his way and I truly believe that that's what we've done at Identity as well now interestingly um, I believe we have created a platform at Identity we have done something that is once in probably a hundred years that has happened to our industry and we have disrupted the major event and major agency space um if you look at our competitors they have been around for 75 years 100 years plus and in the grand scheme of things we've been around for about six years doing mm. what what we do uh, and and so now with uh you know a couple of hundred million pound revenue sitting across the business with offices internationally we've we've created a platform that we can now choose our next steps of what we want to do and how we want to do it and and so when you ask about what my future goals now it's we're really searching about what is the purpose of what we're doing and 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 we're we're nearly there we're nearly there we 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 i believe we are the most sustainable events agency uh on the planet um, and I think what, what sustainability means to us is also what we do from a social value perspective. And, and so we, we are working with clients and changing the way that the events industry operates. And, and I'll give you a couple of examples. So we no longer use color carpets, colorful carpets in our projects. Um, we use muted colors and um, we put more expensive carpets in. But we have them washed and cleaned and then we put them into social housing after our events that we do. We look at... Uh, 
purchasing furniture rather than hiring furniture now working with a client and then we find different charities around the projects and we place them into social housing projects we do IT set up uh, uh, IT rooms at projects and we take uh, the unemployed or homeless and we give them paid work experience on projects we also support them with CV writing and we can get them back onto the ladder and, and, and into what is a great industry mm. and uh, the list could go on of, of the, 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 the support that we we can drive a force for good on what was a notoriously very wasteful industry mm. and, and challenging clients. And so this is such an exciting chapter now for me. And, and that's where I see the next five, 10 years for me going on. And it's interesting because you talk a lot about identity there, but I'm curious as to you, Michael, yeah, in all of that and how, because you're, you know, you're a, a really exciting point in for your career, but you know, you 20 years ago probably had no idea this was coming. So in the midst of all of this, having just done the coronation, these kind of goals, being able to do the kind of things that you're doing in your agency, what does that mean to you as an individual? Um, it's, it, it's a great feeling now and a very rewarding... Once, I've always been a caring person and, and I, I, I'd like to think if you, if you spoke to someone else that was with me growing up, I, I've always had a uh, compassionate side and always want to, if someone was struggling, I, it, I would go and talk to them. If someone was on their own in a room, I'd go and sit with them. I've always had that, that, that nature in me. And so business, growing a business, running a business is Ruthless isn't the right word, but it's an aggressive environment. It's a, it's a dog eat dog world. You have to be really strong in in the way that you the way that you operate. However, um, you can choose how you do that, and and so I, I do have those characteristics, and I do have that skill set, and I will I will be as strong and as rigid as the best of the people, but at the same time. I will be very compassionate and have tons of empathy uh, in it. And I think we grew we grew the business like that. And I'd constantly say to the management team, you know, you've got to respect everyone of what they're doing. Little regard was taken for the people that are on site as opposed to the people in office. And we, we bridged that gap brilliantly uh, in the business. Um, but now I, I get to do nearly everything I enjoy and love now and so for me it's just an amazing experience to to think about what we can do for the business to better the planet and better the industry is very very rewarding um but also i get to play with big numbers and think about mergers and acquisitions and future growth and working with my different managing directors i have in the businesses i mean it's it's very Mm. rewarding Uh, Mm. and i am i am genuinely really excited to see what 10 years on gives me because if it's half as good as where I am now, I'm really, really excited Mm. about the next step. What's your, and, and with that, then it just seems crazy, doesn't it? You keep that growth going, then just take over the world. Why not? But um, (laughs) with that, and honestly, I suppose is that in that last then 15, 20 years or so, What's been the most influential key moment? And on the opposite of that, what's been the biggest, not mistake, because we learn from them the things, but what's the two kind of polarizing moments there on the positives and the negatives that's shaped the way or the things that you've now done and the success you've achieved? Um, I just, just when you were just touching on a point there as well, I think there's, there's so much risk involved and it, and it is great celebrating a su- successful business person and successful business career and, and all the things that have gone in there. But it's, you, you, you have to be so mindful of the other side. And you're constantly one eye all the time on, on uh, cash flow, finance, making the right. It's really, it's very scary. So it's very lonely in those early careers. At mm-hmm. least like early years, at least I can share it now with a management team about making the right decisions, um, which is, which is important. And, and I, I think as, like I said, it's a bit like gambling. When the fun stops, you should stop. And <laughs> I will always hold that uh, in my head. But yeah, to your, to your, the polarizer points. I mean, I had a supplier that went bust in my early years that nearly crippled us. Uh, and we didn't do our due diligence. Uh, we smelt a little bit of a rat. And I, I, I think naivety stepped in and, and th- that humbled us big time. Uh, and I'm so glad... I did that early on in my career um, because procurement is such a big part of what we do now, but was born out of that. But 
it nearly mm. could have all been over. Mm. Um, I think it was about 2014. Um, and and it, yeah, we would have gone bust and I wouldn't have got done what I did. Um, and then the polar opposite of that is people. I have recruited some amazing people that are now business partners of mine. Uh, and I think the, and I headhunted them and I did it myself and, and I, and I knew what I wanted and I went and got the ones that, that wanted mm. to come and join it. I think is, yeah, a very proud moment because we, I sold them the dream. I told them this is what we're going to do and, and we've exceeded it, mm. you know, now. Yeah. And so I'm very proud of that. So before we get to the, the big meaty one, what would the Michael of 20, no, 2003, but, 2003 what would he think and say to the michael of of now sat on the couch what would the kind of the, the conversation sound like <laughs> well we did touch on it beforehand but i say god you've had a heavy paper round uh, <laughs> <laughs> michael. Uh, as you might see guys if you go and have a look at the website and the photo of me when i was younger uh, just um don't be a dick would be the one that was just keep keep on doing it don't keep your feet grounded and i said my parents are fantastic for that of of trying to keep me grounded we have an incredibly successful business and and we really just only begun and so just just stay grounded and, and it's you look after everyone look, look after the team um, nurture them grow them just keep going do you do you think that earlier you always saw there was big things coming and you believed that was happening so this actually wouldn't be a big surprise or have you surpassed yourself in I've definitely surpassed myself absolutely uh did I believe in myself absolutely I, I I think I can't remember but even I look back at my year school book and uh the first person to make a million pounds and my name is on there and so I think people in that, there was always spark and I certainly had that belief and I come from fairly humble uh backgrounds and 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 so I've I've definitely changed that now uh and, and but i wanted that i always wanted that that and i have a terrible um passion for cars and so you've you got to earn your money to get into i was going to ask what the car was uh, well <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's offline then yeah <laughs> before you ask the last question i've got two brothers what are they doing and what's that relationship now like yeah. is the banter as rife or you're getting the drinks every time you meet <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just because you'll totally get this, uh, my brother was taking the mick out of me literally the other day in my kitchen about my sporting prowess to my son, lack thereof. And I said to my son, a brother, very quietly, I said, um, who's winning at life now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it also, I'm going around holiday with my brother on Sunday. Uh, I have a fantastic relationship with both of them. Um, we're all big Brighton fans and we're delighted to see that Brighton are going to Europe uh, to play football. Uh, and so we spend an awful lot of time. We are an incredibly tight family. Uh, my brother runs, uh, middle brother runs a property business and my uh, eldest brother is a vice principal at school. Wow. Nice. So you talked earlier about a book that inspired you, which is called The One Thing. And the podcast is obviously named The One Thing Two, which is a nice um, segue into our last question, which is if there was that one piece of advice you can pass on that was either so good or so bad, you had to share it. What would it be? If it's for other entrepreneurs, it would very much be about aim for the stars because the moon isn't bad, you know, and I think we, we've always believed on that. I think if you, if you set the bar too low, um, you, you know, you're not, you're not likely to hit it always. And so you're really setting the stall quite low. So just aim for the stars uh, because the moon isn't bad. You were going to say something else. What was that? If it wasn't too on Well, to an entrepreneur, I think more just to my, to, to, to my kind of younger selves or, or to peers that are around them, and particularly with Gen Z, and I don't want to alienate, anyone but hard graft is absolutely everything and you won't get anything without putting it in and and so you know no one's going to do it for you you've got to do it yourself and you've got to roll up your sleeves and, and that that is a trait and something i try and breed with everyone is just no one's going to do it for you so work hard yeah brilliant michael thanks so much for joining us on the couch thank appreciate you. it it's been brilliant yeah thank you very much I really enjoyed that conversation. I didn't have any sort of preconceived, you know, ideas of what it would be like, but it was one of those really fulfilling, really enjoyable conversations that could have just gone on for hours and hours, right? Absolutely. And I think what's really lovely about Michael's letter is also 
he he broke it down for those that haven't looked at it on the website. I really encourage you to because he actually broke it down into seven really lovely parts. Mm. And I think all of those constitute such great advice. And you can see how those things have interplayed and helped shape his journey. And, you know, at you know he, at the stage that, of life that he's in, let's not give away his age, but... He's he's still got so much more to come, but some of those foundations you can really see play out and are things that he keeps going back to. And there's some just so much richness there. Mm. I think what's what's refreshing is is that there isn't a another kind of excuse for it other than hard work. You, oh, you've got yeah. to have goals, these aspirations, these big hairy monsters that, that he was referring to, and the ability to be agile and, and write goals in pencil. And, and I love that kind mm. of reference in his, his note as well. But it's that that drive and that hard work that will get you there. And there's no kind of second guessing it. it it's what makes it happen. I think it, that's so important to for people that are listening this to understand and those people that are maybe further along in their career will really resonate with that and nod their head because there is something in the events industry that I think you, there's different ways of earning them, but you have to earn your stripes. You mm. have to do those hard yards. You have to understand your craft. And I think so many people try to rush through those early years yeah. and they're looking at, but I want to be the next CEO. I want to be this. I want, And that ambition is great. But I think people forget how much work is involved in this mm. industry, but also how much you're going to go back to those early years and rely on those early years and those foundations like Michael talks about in his sort of accountancy journey. And whilst it wasn't the thing he ended up doing, that training and that experience has led him to where he is today. And I just don't think you can replicate that. So I really like his, you know, hard work. Yeah, and, and remain a really good guy throughout the entirety. And as he said himself, it's that don't be a dick mentality. <laughs> but, but that's enabled him to bring on board some of the better talent that's then you know elevated him or enabled him to mm. do the different things of, of growth and things and, and business growth but they've then ran the business to an extent and 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 that's not an easy thing to do mm. but to see from other entrepreneurs or, or agency owners or individuals what can be achieved in the space of little more than probably 10 years or so is is extraordinary and so for any of those that are about to check this podcast out it's one of those that you listen to and you think of oh, you know there's some real takeaways there it's really inspiring and i think also the kind of events that he's doing and and his agency has achieved and representing our industry at the very highest stakes you know being able to hear a little bit behind the scenes mm. and how that's come about and and also the prides you know individually and professionally of those moments is actually really humbling because I think we take for granted the kind of events that we do and the kind of industry that we work in and to see somebody at the top of their game mm. still loving it still appreciating it but also the humbleness to sort of take a step back and enjoy it and I love that he does that with his agency because God knows the events industry is always on so taking that moment to really enjoy your success as well is yeah. something that really came through for me definitely and, and more so definitely as as you get to those kind of key milestones and moments and, and that letter writing exercises he found really refreshing Elevate operates thanks to the generosity of our partners and supporters to find out more about them, you can check them out via our website, elevateme.co. Together, we're changing lives, careers, and the events industry for the better. This podcast was powered by Wonder, the independent specialist creative business-to-business -business and business-to-employee events agency. And a huge thanks goes to our producer and fellow team elevator, Pete Kerwood.